much about the end of the world. I mean, do you ever wonder how is the world going to end or when is Jesus coming back? Do you ever wonder? You know, that's been a point of speculation for a lot of people for centuries. Uh, in fact, and there's a lot of differing opinions about it. Here are some uh, of the alleged prophecies the end of the world uh, throughout history. In 960, Bernard of Thuringia, I don't know if I'm even saying that right, but he was a German theologian. He calculated that the year 992, that was gonna be the end. And after he calculated that, I mean, the world in that area was in a panic. Well, then a few hundred years later, a German astrologer by the name of Johann Stoffler, he predicted there was going to be an overwhelming flood and on February 20th of 1524, people who believed him and followed him started building arcs like in Noah's day. And in fact, there's uh, one man who's said to have been trampled by a mob, trampled to death, who, who were attempting to board his specially built vessel. <laughs> so he built the ark and then he got trampled by everybody trying to get on it. When nothing happened, then this guy revised his calculations and a new date was given for 1588, 60-some years later. Um, after studying both the Bible and mystical messages of the Great Pyramid in 1874, by a guy by the name of Charles Taze Russell, I don't know if you know that name, uh, he's the founder of a sect that later became Jehovah's Witness, with Jehovah's Witnesses, and he concluded that the second coming of Christ had already happened. And then now everybody, he, he declared in 1874, everybody, you have uh, 40 years, so until 1914, to repent and join this religion or you're gonna be destroyed. Well, of course that didn't happen and so he revised his prediction to be, well, very soon after 1914 then. Uh, Herbert Armstrong, he published a magazine uh, called The Plain Truth. He declared that January 7th, 1972 was undoubtedly the date to watch. Um, Nostradamus, uh, 16th century seer, said that uh, 1999 was gonna be a year of a Martian invasion and then there was a French prophetess. Uh, she established that the year 2000 was the definitive one and there's just all kinds of crazy ideas. One guy, uh, Edgar Wisnut, he declared that, in, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Sold three million copies. Well, then when it didn't happen, he wrote another book, which didn't sell quite as well, saying that the rapture was gonna happen in 1989. And then 1993. And then 1994. And all these ideas, but here, here's one of my favorites. There was a... This guy, his name is Neil Chase. He put out a couple press releases on behalf of, he was part of the Baha'i religion, and he put this press release out November 1st, 1993. The New York Times said, we didn't make a mistake when we wrote in our previous releases that New York would be destroyed on September 4th and October 14th, 1993. We didn't make a mistake, not even a teeny eeny one. Well, so then he had a follow-up press release the next spring in April where he said, all the dates that we've given in our past releases are the correct dates given by God as contained in Holy Scripture. Now one of these dates was wrong because Ezekiel gives a total of 430 days for the siege of the city, which brings us exactly to May 2nd, 1994. And by now, all you people have been forewarned. We've done our job. We're the only ones in the entire world guiding the people to their safety, security, and salvation. And we have a 100% track record. 
He forgot to add on to that of being wrong. <laughs> but there's all kinds of speculation, even today. Harold Camping thought it was coming in 2011, on, in May, I don't remember the exact date, May something, and uh, at 6 p.m., never told what time zone. Of course, that didn't happen. Well, this morning, uh, we're gonna continue in Jesus' parables, and we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 again. And Jesus, when he speaks of his second coming, he does so uh, with a handful of parables. And so we're gonna look at three of those today and uh, potentially one or two again next Sunday, uh, depending on how, how, we, how far we get. But um, it, it, they all beg a, a simple question. Are you ready or not? See, the, the exact uh, details surrounding Jesus' return, uh, we're not really gonna talk about all that. We're just gonna, and, and Jesus here, he just asked the question, are you ready? Are you ready or not? That's the question in front of you today. So uh, with that, let me pray. And then we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 36. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you do uh, give us warning of your return and that you're patient so that uh, we, would, we would turn to you and trust you and follow you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray today. First, I pray you'd help me as I teach your word. Uh, you'd tell me what it is you've written and what it is uh, you want us to know and how to live in light of it. Father, I pray for my friends who have trusted you, uh, that they would live uh, ready for your return, whether that's soon or if it's still a ways off, that we'd be ready and not be surprised. And Lord, finally, I pray for my friends who've never really trusted you uh, that today might be the day they'd hear your word, that you'd grab their heart, and that uh, they too would be ready for return. So Lord, uh, teach us today, and uh, pray all this in, in Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 24, and uh, we're gonna start in verse uh, 14. Excuse me, does this mic keep cutting out? Anybody else noticing that? No? Okay, maybe it's just my ears. I'm getting old. Verse 36, and Jesus says this. But concerning that day and hour, talking about his return, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the son. He's like, I don't even know. Only the father knows. And he goes on and he says this. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son when Jesus says the son of man, what, what he's referring to is uh, his favorite title for himself, which comes from the book of Daniel, where he's referred to as the son of man. And Jesus often referred to himself in that way. He said, it'll be like the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, remember Noah built the ark? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming, Jesus says, of the Son of Man. So will be my coming. And he says in that day then, there'll be two men. Two men, they'll be in the field and one will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, Jesus says, stay awake. Stay awake. For you don't know the hour that your Lord is coming or on what day. 
But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The first thing to see is this. Uh, Wait ready for Jesus' return so that you're not surprised when he comes. We're to wait ready. See, Jesus said, I'm coming, and we're in this time of waiting. Did you know that? And we're waiting for his return. And Jesus says, be ready, because it could be at any moment. You don't know when it's coming, and it's at a time you really don't expect. In fact, if somebody declares to you it's gonna be at this day or this time, you can probably count on the fact that it's not that day, but be ready, because it might be 10 minutes later. Be ready. Wait, ready for Jesus' return so that you're not surprised. That's what Jesus says. We're to wait for him in a way that we're not surprised by his coming. See, he says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels, not even me, but the Father. And then he tells us it'll be like in the days of Noah. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, when we read that, we, we tend to think, okay, so what were the days of Noah like? You know the story of Noah, if you're not familiar with it, you can read about it in Genesis 6 and following. And in Noah's day, uh, we read that uh, everyone, there was so much wickedness, so much evil on the face of the earth that God just said, I, I, I can't handle this anymore and I'm starting over. And so uh, he tells Noah, reveals to him by his grace that, uh, hey, I'm gonna do this and I've chosen you and your family. I want you to build an ark. I'm gonna destroy the whole world with a flood and, and we're gonna start over. And so Noah begins to do this. He begins to build an ark. Well, we tend to think that in Noah's day, the world was so messed up. There was so much idolatry, sin, so much rebellion. It's kind of like today, isn't it? And we think, uh, yeah, so maybe Jesus could come any minute. Be like the days of Noah today, which that may be true. That may totally be true, but that really wasn't Jesus's point here. What Jesus is trying to convey is that in the days of uh, he and his family, uh, uh, leading, the days leading up to the fight, life was pretty normal. Life was pretty Couples were getting married. They were having babies. They were harvesting crops. They were eating and drinking. They were going to work. They were getting new jobs, getting fired from this one. Life was just going on. It was just normal, everyday life. And there was this oddball, this weird guy down the road named Noah. And this guy thinks he's gonna destroy the whole world with a flood. And so he starts building a giant boat, uh, larger than a, a football field, in the middle of a place where there's no water. What an idiot. Who is this guy? And he recruited his whole family to join in. He's some kind of cult leader, isn't he? And Noah kept preaching. You know, it took Noah over 100 years, according to scripture, to build the ark. And as he's building it, he continues to warn people, hey, uh, God says judgment's coming. That's why I'm doing this. Hey, sure, Noah, sure, uh -huh, right, buddy, yep. Hey, is it coming today, Noah? And then eventually, though, Noah and his family get into the ark and they close the door uh, after decades of mockery. And then judgment came. And no one was ready. 
That's the question Jesus has. That's the point he's trying to make. No one was ready. Are you ready or not? Uh, A Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, he told a parable of a theater where there was a variety show happening and there were all these different acts happening in the theater, right? And they just kept getting better and better as the night went on until the crowd was just cheering. It was fantastic. And then at one point though, the manager of the theater got up and he said, hey, I'm sorry for the interruption, but we're gonna have to dismiss everyone because there's a fire uh, in the basement. And uh, so we just need you to leave, just leave in an orderly way so nobody gets hurt. And People paused for a second and then they started cheering, thinking it was part of the show. And so the guy gets up and he tells him again, no, no, you don't understand that uh, there, there's a fire and you need, you need to leave. We, we need to get everybody out of here. And they just kept cheering more and more and louder and louder until finally he just realized they're not gonna listen. And so he himself left and a few, but what happened then? Fire ripped through the building and it ripped through the crowd, perished. And uh, Kierkegaard goes on to, to say, he said, I wonder, will our age, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction to the applause of a crowded house and cheering spectators who just simply aren't ready and ignore all the warnings God gives us? Well, Jesus goes on in this first, first section of scripture this morning, and he says, after talking about Noah, then he gives the example of two men in the field. It says, uh, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Now in, uh, in uh, the ancient world, it's likely that these two men are either brothers or a father and a son. They were close together and they're working in the field. One's taken away and one is left. One's ready, one's not. Now there's debate, was the one taken away, was he taken away to to heaven in the rapture or was he taken away to judgment? I tend to think probably to judgment based on the flood sweeping everybody away in the verse prior, but you know what, it really doesn't matter. Because again, that's not Jesus's point. His point is one was ready, one wasn't. And then he goes on and he talks about two women at the mill. Uh, Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Again, it's probably uh, two sisters or a mother and a daughter or an aunt and a niece, something like that. Um, And they're sitting at a mill, not like a big one where, you know, oxen would tread out all the grain, but just like the stone between them and then another stone on top of it with some handles sticking out and a hole in the middle, they'd pour the grain in and then they'd kind of turn their side 180 degrees and they just kept turning it and grinding and making flour and, Suddenly one was taken and one was left. Again, one was ready, one wasn't. That's the point Jesus is making. It's unexpected. And then just to cap off his point that it's at a time you don't expect, he tells the story of the thief in the night. He says, therefore stay awake because you don't know. You don't know what hour the Lord is coming. You have no idea, stay awake, he says. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He wouldn't have let his house get broken into. Therefore, you also, you must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. You know, I've never had my house broken into or robbed. Maybe, maybe some of you have uh, unfortunately had to experience that. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I can tell you one, 
one example, the closest I've been to that is um, about 10 years ago, it was 2010, so a little longer than that. The fall of 2010, uh, I was working on my master's degree, going back and forth to Seattle, and I was flying back, and I flew into Indy. I don't know if you've been in the airport in Indianapolis, you grab your bags and you go down the escalator, or I think it's down, and then there's a, a glass door, and you walk across this bridge, like if you're parked in the parking garage or out in the lots, and that's how you get out to your vehicle. And so I'm walking through with my bags, and I got everything. It was in November. And uh, suddenly, as I'm going, the glass door kind of automatically opens up, and I'm walking through. And just some guy comes running behind me, and I just get kind of shoved and bumped and kind of pushed into the side of this door. And just, it's like, I thought a couple things. One, what? A jerk. And then I also thought, um, that guy's in a big hurry. What in the world? And then I didn't think too much about it. I kept on my way, worked my way out to my vehicle. And as I'm getting in my car, loading everything up, uh, I look and realize I got to pay my, uh, for my parking as I leave. Where's my wallet? And I didn't have it. It had been in my coat pocket right here on my left side. And I realized that's where that guy hit me. And I guarantee he swiped my wallet. I went back into the into the uh, airport and they checked the plane and all kinds of different things and it was nowhere to be found. That guy snatched it. Now I'm telling you, if I had known, if I knew that guy was gonna be coming up behind me, I'd have been ready for him. My wallet would have been in a different pocket or zipped up in my bag. I wouldn't have let it happen, but you know what? I had no idea. I had no clue when the thief was coming. Jesus says his return's gonna be like that. You don't know. You have no idea when he's going to come. So stay awake, be ready. He begs the question, are you ready? Will you wait ready for his turn so that you're not surprised when he does? You, you don't wanna be surprised by his coming. And you know, friends, I can't tell you exactly when he's coming. You know, Jesus says, be awake, be alert, so that when he comes, the problem is I can't tell you when he's coming. Jesus himself, he said, concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. He's like, I don't even know, only the Father. And so I can't tell you exactly when he's coming, but do you know what else I also can't tell you? I also can't tell you exactly when he's not coming. So you need to wait ready. You need to wait ready. Um, and if Jesus says it'll be like the days of Noah, then we might also expect that the judgment in that day will be like in the days of Noah. Where... Uh, many, at most, face judgment and are destroyed and only a few who are ready are saved. So are you ready or not? Ready or not? You know, you might know the gospel. You've heard it enough times. You've heard Jesus died on the cross for you and for your sin. You've, you've heard all those truths that he died for sinners, that he's our only hope. You've heard that he's the only way we can be saved and escape God's judgment for sin. You've heard he's your only hope before a perfect and righteous God. You've, you've heard all of it. Some of you for years that he's the only way. You even know that if you'd simply believe it and repent and turn to him and put your full trust in him, you'd be saved. But you keep putting it off. You keep thinking, eh, it's gonna kind of mess my life up. <laughs> I'm gonna have to give this up. I'm gonna have to change in this way. Maybe I'll do that. I'm just not ready yet. No. Friend, uh, if Jesus returns while you're still thinking that, 
whether he returns to the earth or he simply comes for you, which could happen before this message is over. It could happen by the end of the week. If you're still there and you haven't made that decision, but you know it, may God have mercy on your soul because the judgment will come at a time that's unexpected to you and it'll be swift and it'll be fierce. And sadly, many people, uh, they, it's been said, you know, they, they, they spend their lives 18 inches from, from paradise, from heaven, because they know it in their head, but they've never repented from their heart and just truly stepped out fully in faith, trusting the Lord fully. with their life. Are you ready? Or not? Well, Jesus says, be ready for his return. Wait ready so that you won't be surprised. Knowing, we get into kind of his second parable here now. Uh, The first one was really kind of a series of vignettes, uh, more than a parable maybe. But the second one now, uh, be ready, wait ready for his return so that you're not surprised knowing that you're gonna have to give an account. I'm gonna have to give an account to him one day. In the end, you and I, will, we will all give an account for our lives to God of service to him or our faithfulness, lack thereof. Here's what Jesus says. These are his words, not mine. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant? You know, uh, whom the master, he set over all of his household to give his household their food at the proper time, to care for the master's things in the right way at the right time. Jesus says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing those things when he comes. So it's like the master uh, puts his slave over everything and Jesus says, uh, the one who's doing what he was left to do, doing and obeying the Lord like he was supposed to, uh, he's gonna be blessed when the master returns. Truly I say to you, the master will set him, that servant, over all of his possessions. In other places, Jesus says, you know, those who are, you've been faithful and little, uh, you'll be given much then to be responsible for. There'll be a reward for your life if you're a follower of Christ. If you follow him and honor him with your life. There's reward in that. That wasn't the end of the parable. Jesus goes on, he says, but... If that wicked servant says to himself, "Ah, my master's delayed, I don't know if he's coming. And so he begins to beat his fellow servants and he eats and drinks with drunkards. In other words, uh, the guy says, I don't think he's coming, so, but he's left me in charge. So I guess I got some power. And he starts to use his power in a wrong way, in a wicked way. To, to beat down those who are under him, to oppress those who are under him, to take advantage of them and they simply thirst for power and authority. And then they, they just live a life that's, that's not honoring to the Lord. They just eat and drink and uh, just with no regard for what God has said is right. Well, then the master of that servant, he's gonna come, Jesus says, on a day that that guy doesn't expect him. And at an hour, he doesn't know. And cut him in pieces in other words, the, the judgment will be severe. Put them with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, you can't fathom 
the seriousness with which God takes our sin and the seriousness, seriousness with which it needs to be dealt with, which is only in Christ. There was a preacher by the name of Ian Paisley in Ireland. He was preaching this passage one time and he got to that line, you know, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and an old lady in the third row raised her hand and she said, but Dr. Paisley, I don't have any teeth. And without missing a beat, he just quipped back, teeth will be provided. <laughs> in other words, friends, it's for all of us apart from Christ. He's our only hope. He's my only hope. I, listen, I deserve that judgment. I am messed up. But by God's grace, I've put my faith and my trust fully in Christ. He saved me. He's changing me. I'm not yet who he desires me fully to be, but I'm also not who I used to be. And I'm growing and changing. And he would do that for you as well. But uh, back to the parable here. Jesus says that some, uh, you know, they'll just say, oh, the servant, the, the, the master's delayed and that servant, they begin to be hungry for power. And, and these people in this parable, they appear to be people from our perspective who, you know, are connected with Christ. They're godly people. I mean, they're serving. Could be somebody in leadership in general. Could be somebody in leadership in a church. And they go, ah, I don't know. I mean, they, they appear to be his servants. They're they go to church, they give, they serve, they're baptized, they've been married. And, but then as they go about life, over time it becomes clear they really don't believe Jesus is coming back. They certainly don't live like it. They don't seem to be worried about giving an account to him. They just enjoy their lives and their positions of power. And some servants then decide to take advantage of those positions of leadership. They bully others, they indulge themselves. And Jesus says, but if that wicked servant says that, uh, remember he says all, their, their judgment will be severe. Jesus may indeed stay away a long time, but that's never an excuse not to be faithful to him, not to, to indulge in wickedness. God help us. They're servants in some sense. They've been assigned certain tasks, even in Jesus' name, but the way they live, there's no concern about his coming or the account they're going to give. They demonstrate they're not really converted themselves. So it kind of begs the question, are you in Christ or just in the church? Right now we're all here in the church. If you're watching online, you're with us here in the church, but are you in Christ? Because there's a big difference and it has eternal consequence. See, here, here's what I mean. Uh, Paul writes a handful of different places to the church in Ephesus. He says, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're, if you're in Christ, you've been brought near to God. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not in church, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in church. Nope, for those who are in Christ. Colossians 3, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friends, and I say this 
in love to everyone in this room, right back at myself included, there's great danger for all of us if we're only in the church and not in Christ. You can be born in the church. You can uh, go to Sunday school in the church. You can be dedicated in the church. You can be baptized in the church. You, You can serve and give to the church. You can become a leader in the church. You can be married in the church. You can serve in the church and give a lot of your time, talent, and treasure to the church while being in the church. You can have your funeral in the church. But if you're not in Christ, you'll still spend your eternity in hell. Are you in Christ or simply in the church? In other words, are you ready or not? See, uh, sadly, I think many spend their entire lives in church, but never in Christ. And by God's grace, I don't want that for you or for me. So wait ready, so you're not surprised. You and I, we will, We'll, we'll give an account to him whether you believed or not. And for those who have believed, you've been faithful or not. There's a gardener, story told of a gardener for a large estate in Northern Italy, uh, that he had a visitor that he was taking through the castle and all the well-tended grounds. Visitor had lunch with the gardener and his wife and he uh, commended them for how beautiful everything was in this garden. The way they were keeping it. And uh, Hey, by the way, when was the last time the owner was here? Just curious. And the gardener said, oh, I think it was about 10 years ago. And the visitor asked, he said, well, so why do you keep it so immaculate in such just perfect, perfect state, you know, if he hasn't been here for so long? And the gardener replied, well, because I'm expecting him to return. And the visitor goes, oh, is he, is he coming in the next week or so? Gardner says, no, I I really don't know when he's coming, but I'm expecting him today. (laughs) You expecting him today? Could be. Quite honestly, I hope it is today, because that would make this week a lot easier. Are you ready? Uh, You'll give an account, even, by the way, uh, if his coming is delayed. See, uh, not only should we wait knowing Jesus could come at any moment, but also that his coming might be long delayed. And and Jesus told us this ahead of time. He said, behold, I'm coming soon. But he also uh, made the point to say, hey, if I don't come for a while, that's no excuse not to be ready. In fact, you should live your life in such a strategic way as to be ready for my return if it's not even for a long time. Going about my business, doing what I, I sent you to do, leaving a legacy of faith in your family for generations to come, potentially. See, his coming might be long delayed, and that's where we get to our, our, our third and final parable for this morning, Matthew chapter 25, where we read uh, Jesus immediately after all this. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, what this is referring to is uh, 10 bridesmaids, 10 bridesmaids, 
who are uh, going to the wedding or at the wedding, they're going to meet the bridegroom. Five of the bridesmaids were foolish and five were wise. For uh, when the foolish took their lamps, they, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, hey, here's the bridegroom, here he is, he's coming. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids rose and they, they trimmed their lamps. They got them ready, they got them burning, and got a good light so they could go out. And the foolish ones, Jesus said, they, they go to the wise ones and they said, hey, give us some of your oil because our lamps, they're, they're going out. But the wise answered saying, well, no, if we do that, there's not gonna be enough for us and for you. Go, go to the merchant, buy some more. We, we can't give you any of ours. That's on you. And when they were going uh, to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and then the door was shut. Well, afterwards, uh, the other 10 virgins, the other 10 bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open, open the door for us. But he answered, he said, truly, I say to you, I, I don't know you. And then Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And basically implying, and it might be a long ways off yet. Well, we read that parable and for the record, there's a ton of just really weird nations of this parable throughout history and people trying to draw all kinds of allegories between this and that and the oil and what was the oil and you better have some oil and all kinds of different stuff. But to help you understand it, it's helpful to understand how a wedding would have worked in Jesus' day. And so here's, here's kind of how a wedding would have worked in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, weddings were focused pretty heavily on the bridegroom. And on the day of the wedding, the bridegroom would go to his bride's home and he would go with some close family and uh, her family and her close family would be there. And at the bride's home, there would be uh, some ceremonies and some things that would take place and a small celebration there. And uh, sometimes it would last a long time, sometimes not real long. And then uh, what would happen is uh, he would take his bride and he would leave his home and make the journey across the village to his home. And as he left uh, with his bride, then uh, there would be others there who would join in this procession going back to his home. And it'd be a big joyful procession as he brings his bride home and everybody in the village would join in. And then at his home would be the actual ceremony and a feast and it would be a huge party. For a, for a poorer couple, you know, their celebration for their wedding might last a day or so. If it was a wealthy family, it could last all week. Do uh, you remember John chapter two, Jesus's first miracle? He goes to this small village called Cana and he gets invited and brings his friends to this wedding. And they get to the wedding and uh, you know, the, the bridegroom, hey, it's gonna be a big celebration. You guys should come. And they get there and the poor bridegroom, I mean, he runs out of wine before it's over. And what a bummer. So what's Jesus do? He helps him out, gives him some more wine. And the celebration goes on. That, that's the idea. That's kind of... That's the setting Jesus is talking about here. And uh, so when the procession through the streets happens, the, the other people who aren't family, they are friends or close relatives, they're waiting for that procession to come and then they join in on the party. And if it happens after dark, they've got their torches ready. 
and they've got oil and, and they're singing and there's dancing and eating and drinking all the way down the street until they get to the groom's home. But, but man, this groom in the story Jesus is telling, he's taking his sweet time. And it's been a while. Where is this dude? He's been there for hours and it, it begins to get dark. And not only dark, it begins to get late. He's just taking forever. You know, by the way, some people, they read this and they wonder, well, why doesn't it mention the bride? Well, again, in Jesus' day, there was a little bit different focus. It wasn't as much on the bride as it was the bridegroom. Not that one is wrong or better, just that, I mean, because the scripture talks about the focus on the, the bride of Christ, the church, but uh, the way, it's just the inverse of the way think, we think about weddings today, isn't it? We think about a wedding, uh, we usually, uh, for instance, there was a wedding, some people in our church yesterday had the privilege of being at, some of you were as well, uh, for Patrick and Mallory, it was a beautiful outdoor wedding, the weather was perfect, and if we were going to talk about it, I might describe to you just the setting, and it was outside, and it was beautiful, and there was this barn, and, and then I might describe Mallory to you and just say, man, uh, she was beautiful, and uh, the smile on her face, and just the glow about her, and her dress was gorgeous, and her bouquet, and uh, she was just, she was so excited, it was awesome. And then I might go, and yeah, Patrick was there too. <laughs> kind of the groom's just kind of an afterthought. But in, in Jesus' day, the, the bridegroom was, was often the focal point. It was the reverse of that. And the turning point then of this whole story is the delay of the bridegroom coming means that some found themselves not ready when he came. Some found themselves not ready. Some brought enough oil to be prepared for a long delay just in case, but the others weren't prepared for that. So in due course, the foolish ones who aren't prepared they have to go off and buy some more oil. And while they're away, the procession comes, the, the torchlight parade through the streets of the village. And the wise bridesmaids, they, they join in, but they get to the compound at the other end of the village, they get inside, the doors are shut, and those foolish ones are left outside. And then the language uh, is pretty severe. Jesus says, um, they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the hour or the day. See, if the first set of instructions this morning was be ready because he could come at any time, the second is it could be a long time. It could. From a human perspective, it has been. Um, and so, you know, it's a mistake not to be ready at any time, but it's also a mistake not to be ready if his coming is delayed. And we see that all throughout scripture as well. We see this tension between Jesus could come any moment and Jesus' coming might be delayed. In fact, in, uh, Peter writes this in his second letter. He says, don't overlook this one fact, friends. Don't overlook this fact, loved ones, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise like some would count slowness, but he, he's simply patient toward you not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, don't look at it and go, well, it's been 2,000 years, Josh, where is he? Maybe he's waiting on you. Maybe he's waiting for you to turn and give your life to him because he loves you. Uh, God doesn't look at time quite the same way we do. In, in Romans, Paul writes, he says, don't presume on the riches of his kindness and his patience 
Don't you know that his kindness, his patience is there so that you would repent because he loves you? And uh, friends, if you have repented, if you have turned to Christ, you, you should also prepare one for his coming soon, also for potentially his coming a long time from now and live strategically and in the midst of your life then persevere to the end because actual Christians persevere. They make it to the end. Now that doesn't mean like you muster up enough strength to just do it on your own. You know, that's religion. It's that by God's grace, you give your heart fully to him, he produces fruit in your life and you continue on even through the hardest days to the end. We're told these things in John. In John 8, 30, many people believed in Jesus. They put their faith in him. And so to those who had put their faith in Jesus, he says something curious. He, he said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, if you persevere, if you stick with me, then you're truly my disciples. And if you know the truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free if you persevere to the end. Because genuine Christians stick. That doesn't mean we don't mess up. That doesn't mean we don't mess up in big ways, right? (laughs) But it means the overall, the trajectory of our lives is we stick and we keep returning and we keep following and coming back to him. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, for if we've come to share in Christ, if indeed, we've come to share in in him, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, and it's kind of like this. You might think of it like this. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to Christ, but he's also holding on to me. And he's got the greater grip. But there's still something about persevering, asking God for that endurance and that hope. Friends, uh, wait ready so that you're not surprised when Jesus returns. Knowing you and I, we're, we're gonna give an account someday. Even if His coming is long delayed and I just leave you, Jesus does with this question, are you ready or not? You know, if if you're not sure, you can be. And it's simple, in fact, it's simple to the degree that you might think it's a bit foolish. Uh, It's simply putting your full faith, your full trust in Christ. Saying, I've tried this on my own. I've tried to find hope in all these different things. I've tried to find it in this, in my career, in fill in the blank, right? But I've realized, Jesus, like it keeps coming up empty. And you can be ready if you simply turn to him just by faith. The Bible's clear if you believe in your heart that, that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that, that God raised Christ from the dead. You believe it deeply in your heart. You confess it with your mouth. You live it out. You, you will be saved. Not might, not you cross your fingers. You will. By faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. If you haven't trusted him, friends, I commend him to you. And uh, let me close with this last uh, short quote. Uh, C.S. Lewis was an atheist, an incredible skeptic who became a follower of Christ. And uh, one of the things he wrote was a, a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. 
And in this series of books, he, he uses metaphor to describe the relationship between uh, Jesus and his church and uh, all of those things. And when he gets to the final book, The Last Battle, uh, he gets to the end and here's what he writes. I think it's fitting for us as we look forward to Christ's return. He says, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I can't write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, for those who were part of the story, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. Friends, you're part of God's story. And uh, my challenge to you is to, to keep in mind, this life is just the title and the cover page. And are you ready for the rest of the story? You can be. Let me pray.